Welcome to Agam Insight, the new weekly podcast about higher education by the Association of Independent Colleges and Universities in Massachusetts. This week, Agam's Senior Vice President and General Counsel, Rob McCarran, interviews Nick Cavino, President of William James College. To begin, here's Rob McCarran. Hello, everyone. I am Rob McCarran, Senior Vice President and General Counsel at Acom. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Acom Insight, a podcast that highlights the people, policies, and programs that make higher education, the, the higher education sector, such a critical part of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nick Cavino, President of William James College. Dr. Cavino is a practicing psychologist who, since 2002, has served as the second President of William James College. Before being appointed as president of William James, Dr. Cavino was the director of psychology and director of training at Bethelfield Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. And he also has the, the pleasure of serving as the vice chair of the Aikam Board of Directors and will be assuming the role of chair in June of 2021. Nick, welcome to the Aikam Insight Podcast. So thank you very much, Rob. We're, we're going to talk today about uh, the issue of mental health. And even before uh, COVID hit, um, in the spring, mental health, uh, the mental health of college students and faculty and staff was a topic uh, of conversation and significant concern to college presidents. Uh, in fact, Acom was working with you and your colleagues on a mental health summit to bring together college presidents to discuss their concerns and, and brainstorm about possible solutions to help students, faculty, and staff. So, uh, Nick, I'd like to start with um, kind of what are your thoughts now on the, you know, what is the state of mental health among college students um, today, and, and why is it so important to pay attention to it? So thanks very much for bringing this issue forward, Rob, and, and thank you to Agum. It um, uh, had been an emerging issue on college campuses, mental health, for a number of years, hence our uh, efforts with your leadership on uh, putting a conference together to educate presidents in, uh, in June. Um, more and more counseling uh, departments and counseling uh, agencies have seen a rush to the door from uh, students that were reporting uh, an increased uh, anxiety, level of anxiety, depression, uh, PTSD. Uh, interestingly to me as a clinical psychologist, the kind of thing you'd expect to see among that age group, 18 to 23, 24 year olds, yeah. uh, would more likely be substance abuse disorder, or maybe the first expression of, uh, a major mental illness like schizophrenia, but that was not what we were seeing. Uh, we were seeing people presenting symptoms of anxiety and depression, uh, in increasing number, uh, it seemed, uh, the problem at the moment is compounded by COVID um, and what began as an initial look uh, at trying to find a way to manage this uh, increased prevalence is now at a, at a, I would say at a crisis point, meaning the CDC uh, in their weekly morbidity and mortality report in mid-August said 40% uh, of uh, respondents to their large uh, representative survey uh, reported symptoms of anxiety and depression, 40%. Uh, so typically we might see 20% uh, in that group. Yeah. Uh, compared to last year, 
uh, people are four and five times more likely to complain of depression and anxiety. Uh, but suicidal ideation, ideation uh, among 18 to 24 year olds uh, is now at a level of a quarter of that population. So we have some significant things to pay attention to regarding mental health in college age students. And, and that uh, I know you had shared that um, CDC uh, survey results with me last week, and that 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 twenty five percent number is just so so eye opening, staggering. It is, um, and I think one one of the things you mentioned was you know you might, we might typically see a similar result for that question in the three to eleven percent, and so the fact yeah. that we're seeing twice the high is just is just as you said staggering. So you may see more than. Uh, then 10 or 11, you might see around 10 or 11 among adolescents in a normal uh, period of time, three to 4% in the general population. Suicidal uh, thoughts and behavior uh, have been of great concern to that age group of late teens, uh, early adults, early young adults uh, for many years. It's always been a risk factor in that group, uh, but 25% is, uh, is astronomically high. It is, and I know, and it, and it, um, as we said, even before the, the COVID nineteen hit, you know, we were um, planning a summit for June, and, and hopefully, uh, we can resume that planning as as things hopefully continue to move in the right direction. But you know, as you mentioned, COVID nineteen basically turned the world and college campuses upside down. You know, we pivoted uh, very quickly to remote learning in March, um, and. And because of that, that, that uh, de-densifying campuses, sending students, faculty home to work from home and to learn from home, you know, a lot of folks missed some really important milestones, graduations, proms, sporting events. And, um, and, and no doubt that, has, uh, that is kind of leading into what we're seeing now with the data and, and the surveys is exacerbating the concerns that you and other presidents had well before, uh, well before COVID hit. Yes, and... and uh... What we're really thinking is contributing to this is the sense of isolation, which is not getting better. Uh, so the very thing in the middle of a crisis that human beings like to do, need to do to be able to cope is connect uh, with each other. And that's the one thing we're not allowed to do and uh, not without putting each other into more serious uh, uh, physical harm. Uh, and the isolation in the last several uh, months has been more and more and more. Um, so we expect that if this continues, these symptoms are likely to increase folks that try to cope with uh, feelings of anxiety and depression uh, and isolation uh, will turn more likely to, uh, to other sources of support like substance use or, uh, or maladaptive ways of coping. Uh, so we can expect that this problem will be with us until the uh, pandemic uh, reverses itself to a significant degree. Uh, and even, you know, so I'd like to talk a little bit about it, this as a clinician. So that, from a clinical point of view, is a mental health problem. It's a healthcare problem of, of some substance when 40% of your population says we're experiencing symptoms of anxiety and depression. And it's a critical problem when a quarter of your young people in, in that age group think about uh, killing themselves. These are, these are staggering numbers. Uh, and also, it's important to understand that uh, emotions trigger learning or, or mediate learning. And so when we're delivering education, even remotely and safely, 
to people that have high levels of anxiety, depression. Uh, we, we, we have a, uh, a population of students that just are not going to learn well. Uh, so it, it's very important to understand that things like attention, concentration, memory, motivation are very highly influenced by emotions. Uh, and so as we are educating this uh, group safely uh, in the various ways that our colleagues are doing, uh, we really do need to find ways to intervene and to help them manage their emotions. Because at, at the heart of what you and, and, the, and other co uh, college presidents, I mean, you think of the mission of all of our member institutions, it's, it's educating and, 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 and helping um, young people figure out how they're going to uh, learn and, and, and find out what they want to do as they move forward in their life. And to be able to do that, successfully requires, um, you know, a certain level of mental health, as you were saying, and, and, and makes that process um, a greater value for not only the students, but also the faculty to have right. so to not it, have to be interfering. It, it integrally connected to it, Rob. So, you know, you, you think about the best times that you learned in your life. They were in environments that felt safe. They were with sitting with people whom you felt connected to. Uh, they were sitting with colleagues that you could work collaboratively with. Uh, they, those environments, those learning environments invited you to be motivated to do new things, to try things out. Uh, it, it allowed you to feel your strength as a, as a learner. Uh, and so at a time like this, uh, it's, it's important to do things like educate students to some of the signs and symptoms to watch out for. Uh, it's critical to educate uh, student services personnel to signs and symptoms of especially suicidal uh, behavior or uh, serious depression and anxiety. Uh, but it's also important that we think with faculty members and staff about the importance of building relationships in their classroom with their students, uh, because that's where caring connections can uh, be an antidote a bit to what we're seeing uh, in this this uh, disconcerting rise in anxiety and depression. Uh, yeah. yeah, one of the things, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, I, one of the things that I know we had talked about, you know, when we would have these meetings to think about what our, our mental health summit would look like, and, and you had mentioned a number of times the key role that faculty can play. Um, and, and by simply taking time out of what would otherwise be you know, a class to discuss economics, to, just to kind of check in with folks. And, and you know, I think a, a different generation, which is probably now uh, even maturing, <laughs> different than the generation that taught me as an older person, I think understands that we, we need to provide more than just cognitive input uh, to students and that uh, building relationships and fostering their engagement students' engagement both with uh, each other, with the professor, with the material, uh, is the way that, that education works best. Uh, finding a way to help people to collaborate on tasks is a way that education works best. Helping students to feel known, uh, you know, even just checking in for 10 minutes in the beginning of class, especially these days, to say, How's everybody doing? Do you know each other? Do you have each other's uh, cell phone number, ways of connecting? Uh, anything happened recently that we want to take a few minutes to talk about? Uh, 
those kinds of humane and, and, and human engagement uh, work really well to create uh, an affirming, uh, safe learning environment. Uh, and then, as people have discovered, uh, instead of uh, offering people a task that they sit passively and listen to, to offer people opportunities to work together, also fosters uh, relationships and caring connections at a time when we really are battling isolation. Yeah, it's the isolation that is really, um, it, it, it's just a growing concern, particularly when you think of, you know, some schools are, are welcoming students back um, to campus in, in a, what is not, what is kind of the new normal for what higher ed looks like on campus right now. But several schools are also uh, using, choosing to go uh, remain remote and to have um, remote learning, online learning, at least for the fall semester. And when you think about the remote learning environment, and then you also think of, as you mentioned, just that need for peer networks and social connections that are critical for everyone and not just uh, college students, but it's that, um, it's that real need to connect, to try to build those connections when you're doing it with an online environment, which just seems really important. In, yeah. Really, really important. And, and I would be remiss not to say uh, with the same degree of passion, I'm hopeful, that we need to connect with our faculty. Uh, these are folks that we're asking to be right on the front line, many of them in a new and novel way of educating uh, a group of folks who are uh, also feeling disconnected. Uh, and they are key players in, in uh uh, and helping education move forward and helping our young people to get the most out of it. So we need to make sure we're touching base, making connections, supporting, building relationships with, creating a collaborative environment with our faculty and staff. Uh, we, we have in, in this small, small college uh, run a, uh, a weekly uh, all community staff and faculty meeting uh, every week since March. Uh, which has been wonderful. It's been wonderful, a uh, little little uh, cumbersome uh, for folks to stage and to staff, but uh, but it's been a wonderful way to connect and keep each other abreast of what we're doing, um, and we're probably going to keep doing that, uh, uh, God willing, when this uh, pandemic uh, abates. Yes, and I know, and um, and I've heard you and a number of uh, presidents uh, when we get together for our Zoom calls talking uh, about the issue. Of mental health and stressing that it's not it's it's the students' mental health, but it's also the faculty and staff because, as you just said, they're they are on the front lines and in, in trying to kind of reinvent what college looks like in 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 the middle of a pandemic. And you know, I see it a little bit um, in my own life. With I have a, an 18 year old who's yesterday started college online. She was supposed to be in Washington at, at George Washington University. Um, and they went online for the semester and, and seeing her kind of struggle with these very issues about kind of loneliness and, and the connectedness. But then in talking to her about it, flipping it and saying, you know, how, how difficult it is for a, a faculty member who has spent the last 10, 15 years in person teaching a class, now learning to kind of teach it in a whole new way. And then so there's, you know, going to be, um, one step up, two steps back for, for both the students and the faculty in any situation like that. And, you know, not not to overstate it, but not to miss it. 
you know, these faculty members are many of the moms and dads of young kids too. And their school districts are unclear what's going to happen in their life. They're making a plan to homeschool their kids. Their partners are home. They're, they're in a space where they're struggling to find someplace at the kitchen table to set up a computer uh, to do work. I mean, there's a lot of tax that uh, is being taken uh, on people to be able to deliver what we're trying to deliver. And yet, uh, to to give a shout to our colleagues that are leading this in the, the president's group, finding ways to connect this group of, of young people is as important, if not more important, I think, than offering people an opportunity to get a degree and to progress in their, uh, in their discipline. Uh, when you look at numbers like 40%, when you look at numbers like 25% with suicidal ideation, the effort that's being made, uh, much of it Herculean by people that are, you know, they're used to doing other things than sitting around thinking about how to plan for a campus that's safe and a, an opening of school that's safe. Uh, they're doing our young people in our country an enormous service, uh, both at the level of professional development uh, and learning, uh, and particularly at the level of mental health. Yeah, and it has been... Um... I feel lucky and it has been inspiring to be on calls with the presidents that, as you said, they're doing a Herculean effort to, 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 to navigate uh, through a pandemic, but also create that environment where students um, are able to, to find those connections to continue their educational careers. Um, it, it, it's just been really inspiring to watch and to yeah, it's been it's felt it's been an, as I said in the one of the mean it's been an honor for me to sit with this group of colleagues. I've uh, I don't think I've ever been in a group that's uh, as impressive, and it's been working at this since March. You know, meeting almost every week uh, to address these issues. But to underscore it, uh, they're providing an opportunity for students to connect, uh, whether it's virtually or semi-virtually or or in person in ways that are safe. And yeah. those those connections are going to help our next generation move forward. This has been a long uh, struggle uh, for older people. Uh, we know it will get better. For older people, time has a different meaning uh, to it. For younger people, you know, a lot of these folks at 17 and 18 are thinking, you know, this is like the longest uh, trip I've ever been on, and this is never going to end. It uh, is. We've been talking about uh, just the, the impact that COVID has had on a college um, campus. When you think, it, when you also then start to layer in kind of the general unrest and upheaval we're seeing, whether it's racial inequality, police violence and reform, the 2020 president, presidential election, you layer all that on top of, of, of COVID-19 and, and you can see why mental health is just such a, such a big concern. Well, people people feel powerful emotions, right? You you saw that uh, in the last several months, uh, powerful emotions, uh, and people feel helpless. Uh, and you, you know, you look to see when is this going to end? Was the light at the end of the tunnel? What lever can I push? How do I escape? How do I make this make this different? And when people have prolonged exposure to feelings of helplessness, uh, depression. Uh, is uh, is almost an eventuality for everybody. So as we think through these things and, and think towards the future and you think about um, 
interventions, uh, educational interventions, clinical interventions, are there ones that you, um, the innovation that you're seeing that you think um, people are, are looking to, to see how, how, they, how, could, how they could be helpful? Yeah, so so I wish I had five things. If we just did them, we'd be better, uh, and and that would turn this whole thing around. Uh, but I'll I'll list a couple that uh, basically are things we've been we've been talking about. It's really important these days to educate people about what's going on. So as you said so well, we're experiencing not one but several major uh, issues before us uh, that have powerful emotions. Not an easy solution. Uh, lots of complexity, and, and they require us to manage them. Uh, so underscoring with people, this is a difficult time and why is helpful letting people become aware of the symptoms of depression, anxiety, uh, insomnia, uh, substance uh, use disorder, so that they can kind of police themselves a little bit and understand what they're experiencing when they're experiencing it. Uh, to invest in preventive mental health education, uh, tox information sharing like this is very helpful to people. Um, it would be a useful thing for colleges to look at the resources that are available to them. So cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, is about the most researched evidence-based treatment uh, for anxiety and depression. And you can present that to people as a learning lesson, meaning it doesn't have to be done by a mental health professional. Uh, necessarily the elements of it can be taught just like a course. So presenting uh, information like that would be very, very helpful to young, for young people. Uh, finding ways to create peer support, training your uh, student uh, life folks in psychological first aid training, that would be uh, 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 first line, front line kinds of interventions uh, for people. Uh, there's a community out there beside the university that you could turn to for mental health care. A lot of it's being done through telemental health these days. Uh, so there are, it's important to let people know what they're experiencing. It's important for people to know that there is help available, uh, including such things as the Samaritans, if they uh, come to need that. And we, we can't be afraid to uh, to describe this experience for people and to point them in a direction of help. Uh, and we sure need to make sure that we're making the investment uh, in offering people uh, some path to, uh, to safety. Yes. And, and that was interesting, the, the part you mentioned about um, where you're almost teaching those skills, those life skills as a class. Yes. Uh, and and it, because it's then they're able to, you know, through that class, learn the, the skills that help to address an issue before it becomes a diagnosable problem. Right, right. And you can do that in the context of uh, a dorm meeting. You can do that in the context of a, a, a peer group uh, exercise. Uh, you know, again, 40% and 25% suicidal ideation. We're at a space where we really do need to invest in doing those kinds of things. And I'll say to my colleagues, there are resources out there to uh, to find, and you have likely on your campus many uh, experts that can help you think about how to move that forward. Uh, it's time to make a call. Well, I think that's a great message message to uh, to kind of wrap it up on. And 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 I do think, um, given the seriousness of this issue, the issue of mental health, it's um, we wanted to use this uh, this podcast to to 
kind of re restart the conversation that we were having as we were planning towards our, our mental health summit. And, and it's, and it's going to be a, um, an ongoing dialogue and conversation um, going forward on many campuses, on all campuses. And we'll pull that together again, and we'll look together to see if there are other ways that we can begin to define some of these resources for uh, colleges and, and folks that are that have that interest. And as a mental health professional, let me say I'm 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 unbelievably grateful to ACOM uh, and to you for your leadership around this. Not more than four years ago, this would never have been a topic of conversation. Uh, and certainly it hasn't been the case historically, and yet it's an essential link to college success and really important as an opportunity to make positive intervention around our, our young adults and adolescent uh, population. So thank you very much for your leadership on that, Rob. Thank you for, um, for, for being part of the conversation and sharing your expertise and your, your perspectives and your insights, because I think it, um, it's it's why anyone would tune into this to this podcast is to listen to the to the experts on this. So um, I can't thank you enough for for being part of it, this conversation and for all you've done um, to 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 make sure that as you just said, mental health is part of virtually every conversation we're having as we're as you know as you said, particularly since March when we've been trying to plan for the the reopening and repopulating of campuses, but ensuring that mental health is part of those conversations because it is so important that it is. So important that it is that it be that there not be a stigma attached to to the um, to the need to to have those resources and to seek the, seek out those resources on campus. Nice. So happy well, to be part of it. Thank well, you. Thank you. And that will wrap it up for this episode. And um, we'll tune in next time for for another episode of Acom Insight. So thank you, Nick. Thank you for listening to Acom Insight. We will be back with a new episode next week. Be sure to listen and share.